Let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Worship is something that is energetic, that is joyful, grateful praise. You know, that, that verse, shout aloud, is that phrase is used again in another context earlier in the Old Testament. It comes from Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Now, if you remember Joshua chapter 6, this is the uh, battle of Jericho. Okay, so Joshua is leading the troops in the battle of Jericho. They circle the city for a few days, and on the final day, they give one loud shout, and the walls come down. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that shout, I think it was probably a pretty powerful, pretty energetic shout. And then sometimes when we gather for worship, that same energy sometimes lacks as we gather in this place to worship. So the Hebrew word shout aloud literally means give an an overwhelming shout of praise to God who is worthy of all of our worship. So our worship should be energetic. You know, I'm also reminded of King David in 2 Samuel. Now, if you remember the story of King David, um, he sent some men out and, and they retrieved the Ark of the Covenant and they were bringing it back in to the city the city of Jerusalem. And as they were entering in the city, David began, Scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 6, that David began to dance with all of his might. That he was celebrating the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant. He was married at the time, and his wife Michael, who was the daughter of the previous king Saul, was up in an upper room and looked down in the courtyard and saw David making a fool of himself, in her opinion. And she called him out on it. And she said, David, what are you doing? You're looking like a fool in front of all these other followers and all these, these people who respect you as king. And David's response to her was, if you think that was foolish, then I will become even more undignified than this. So David's response was that of energetic worship. And that is what God desires for us as well. And I wonder, as we gather and as we worship in this place, is our worship full of energy and excitement for all that God has done? Oswald Chambers says it this way, A joyful spirit is the nature of God in my blood. A joyful spirit is the nature of God in my blood. Therefore, if I really believe that God is all that He says He is and all that He has and, and He has done, all that I believe He has done for me, then I can't help but be joyful. It's just an overflow of who I am because of all that God has done for me. The next thing that we see is that worship is God centered. Worship is God centered. Again, they're not singing to themselves. They're not singing to each other. Not, they're not singing of some other king or some other God. They are singing to the Lord. They're shouting to the rock of their salvation. We sang that song a few moments ago. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. They extol the Lord, the great God. He alone is worthy of praise. So their worship is Christ-centered. It's God-centered. The next thing we see is that their worship <coughs> is founded on truth. Their worship is founded on truth. John Piper says it this way, 
We also believe that our joy shows the supremacy of God's value. In His greatness is the basis of our joy. If His greatness is the basis of our joy, then our joy is the evidence of His greatness. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So what what Piper is saying here is the more our joy of God increases, the more glory that God receives. And the more glory that God receives, the more satisfaction we find in Him. So as we worship the God of truth, as we worship the God who, again, we see He created the depths, the peaks, the sea, the dry land. They all belong to Him. They are under His control. They are under His authority. As we worship Him in truth, He is exalted on high. And as He is exalted on high, we again magnify and continue to magnify and lift up the name of Jesus. The next thing we see is found in verses 6 and 7. It's an interesting transition that happens. We have this moment in these first five verses that we are worshiping God for His greatness. But look what happens in verse 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. You see the contrast in worship that happens. It's exuberant, it's loud, it's exciting. And then suddenly in verse 6, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. So our worship goes from full of energy and enthusiasm to suddenly and immediately full of awe-inspired reverence for God. And our worship should always model both of these two dynamics. Our worship should always be energetic, acknowledging that He is the great God above all others. But then there ought to be moments in our worship where we fall on our face before an Almighty God and recognize how amazing and how awesome He is. I'm reminded always of Isaiah. Many of you know the the context. Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is what Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on His throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple with glory. So Isaiah has this moment where he sees the awesomeness of God and he responds in worship, but then then his immediate response, as he sees the awesomeness of God, he responds by saying, Woe is me. I am undone. I am not worthy to be in the presence of an almighty God. So there are moments that our worship exalts and celebrates the majesty and the authority of God. And there are moments where our worship is filled with awe and filled with humility of the one who is alone worthy of our praise. And the last thing we see is a responsibility that we have to respond. If we look at the last couple of verses, it says, Today, if only you would hear His voice. And as we look at that, it's interesting transition. Because the first few verses, the first few verses, it is us talking together. So we are talking about how awesome, how mighty, how great God is. But then the response here in these last few verses 
is God's response to us. So the first seven verses are us talking about the great and mighty, majestic, worthy of all praise God. And then the last few verses are how He responds to us. And here's what God responds. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me. Though they had seen what I did, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Here's what God desires from us in worship. Here's the response that God longs from us. He, resp- he desires for us to respond in obedience. As we worship Him, as we magnify Him, when we hear Him speak into our lives, He desires for us to respond in obedience. There are several references all throughout Scripture of the importance of obedience in worship. There's a moment where King Saul is encountered by Samuel and Saul wanted to go into battle, was not willing to wait for, for Samuel to arrive to, to, give a, to give a sacrifice before the Israelites went into battle. And when Samuel did, Saul and his army were routed and when Samuel arrived, Samuel said to Saul, obedience is greater than sacrifice. God desires for us to be obedient to what He calls us to do. And he references two particular locations. He references Meribah and he references Massa. So we have to go back and look. What is, what is God talking about here? What is Meribah and what is Massa? Well, if you go back into the book of Exodus, you see the mention of these two locations. If you remember the Israelites' journey out of Egypt, as they're walking through the desert, they get thirsty. Y'all remember this? And they begin to grumble and complain to God about, to, to Moses about their thirst. And God responds by telling Moses, tap the rock and water will, water will come forth and the people can drink of the water. So God provided for their need, but in his frustration, in his anger with his people, he labeled the place Massa and Meribah, which means you've grumbled against, and you have tested God. A few, a few chapters later, it's actually in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, it happens again. This time, the people come back to Moses and say, we're thirsty again. God provided for us the last time. Make him do it again. And so God tells Moses what to do. God says, Moses, go and speak over this rock, and water will spring forth. What Moses did, though was he went and he tapped the rock again like he did the first time. And God came back and said, you weren't obedient to what I told you to do. The people grumbled again and complained again, and therefore I, I will give you the water, but there's also a repercussion for your decision. The people wandered in the desert for 40 years because of the repeated disobedience of God. So what God is saying here is, when you know what I desire for you to do, When it has been made clear to you the step that I desire for you to take, respond in obedience. Don't grumble, don't complain, but follow through with what I've called you to do. Leonard Sweet says, Our pews are occupied by people who want to be moved, but who do not want to move. 
Our pews are occupied by people who want to move, to want to be moved, but who don't want to move. And I believe what he is saying is that if we took a poll of everyone in this room, we would agree we want to see God do amazing things in this place. But sometimes when the rubber meets the road and we recognize the sacrifice that is involved in doing what God has called us to do, fear or distrust or grumbling can paralyze us from taking action. We are a people who want to be moved, but who don't want to move when God reveals to us what it is He is calling us to do, who He is calling us to be. So when we worship, first we rejoice. And second, we revere. And third, we respond. Worship is to be primary. Worship is to be persistent. When I say worship is to be primary, when Jesus was asked, the first and great, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was by the Pharisees and other religious leaders, Jesus' response was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus was clear to the, to the people that worship is the primary role of the people of God. That is what He has called us to do. That is who He has called us to be. And secondly, worship is persistent. Worship is persistent because it's something that we gather and we do regularly. We gather in this place once a week and we worship. And as we go into the community around us, we go worshiping. And we seek to allow God to use us as we are obedient to Him to do great and mighty things in and through us. I mentioned him earlier. John Piper has a, has a quote, pretty famous quote that says, Missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason that we go, the reason that we tell is because there are folks who don't know what it means to worship God. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is always primary. And as we begin to understand how awesome and how majestic, how mighty God is, we respond in worship. And we respond by telling others how awesome God is. 1996. Some of you in this room may remember that year. The second year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They exceeded expectations in that regular season. Everybody, anybody remember this? And they made it to the playoffs. Now, there was a lot of people that thought it was a fluke that the Jaguars even made it to the playoffs that year. There was a missed field goal that propelled them into the play, a missed 30-yard field goal that propelled the Jaguars into the playoffs on the very last day of the season. They responded the very next week by winning their first playoff game. They were playing at somebody. Who was it? No, Denver was the next week. At Buffalo, there it is. Week two, they go play at Denver. One of the columnists in Denver said something to the effect during the week of, who is this team 
Nobody even, no one has heard of them. We, we have no idea who plays for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe next week we'll get a real NFL team to play. And the Jaguars roll into Denver, and they beat Denver in Denver's home field. And it propels the Jaguars to the AFC Championship game. Now this is what is cool about this moment. There was some kind of ground effort here in Jacksonville. I don't know how it worked out. I don't know how people became aware of it. But there was a gathering of about forty to 50,000 Jaguars fans in what was probably Altel Stadium at the time. They gathered in the stadium at 1 o'clock in the morning to welcome home the Jaguars as they flew back from Denver. And what's cool about this moment is the pilot of the plane was aware that there was an assemblage of Jaguars fans in the stadium and kind of diverted the traffic pattern to fly over the stadium at 1 o'clock in the morning so that all these Jaguars fans could cheer and celebrate the Jaguars as they were arriving back into Jacksonville. Anybody in the stadium that night? Anybody? Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't even, I was probably like the Denver guy. I didn't know the Jaguars existed. I was, I was a panhandle guy, and all I thought about was the Seminoles. That's, that's all I knew that existed. But I read about this earlier this week, and it amazed me that 40,000, 45,000, 50,000 people got together in the middle of the night to welcome home the Jaguars. You know why they did that? Because they wanted to say, job well done. You guys are awesome. You've defeated the odds. When we gather to worship, it's much the same way, except for God hasn't defeated the odds. There are no odds stacked against God. He is the only one that is worthy of our praise. He is the only one that deserves that kind of adoration. And I just wonder if diehard fans are willing to gather in a stadium at 1 o'clock in the morning to celebrate a team that's in the air flying over in an airplane, what are the people of God willing to do to acknowledge that God alone is worthy of our praise? You know, Revelation 3, verse 20 It's a verse that we use all the time to talk to people about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens, he will see me. You know, when that verse was given, it was actually not given to non-believing people. It was actually given to believers. That letter is written to the believing church. And so I, I close out this moment by asking the question, what is God inviting us to do in this moment? How does Jesus desire for us to respond when it comes to our worship gatherings? What does God long for from you as an individual that will enhance our corporate worship experience? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for the privilege of worship God, forgive us for the moments in our life, the times in our lives where we just miss it. We find ourselves thinking about other things and worrying about other things and missing out on the opportunity to worship the only one who is worthy of our praise. And so God, in this moment as we sing this closing song, God, search our hearts. Speak to us individually. Open our eyes to what worship is truly all about. 
Help us to see you in ways we've never seen you before. God, help us to respond to you in a way that rejoices, reveres, and responds to a great and mighty God. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We've sung about him. We've spoken about him. We acknowledge that he alone brings us forgiveness of sin. It's because of what he has done for us on the cross that we can even gather and worship. That Jesus repaired the bridge that reconnects us with you. So God, in this moment, we acknowledge you as Father, we acknowledge you as Son, we acknowledge you as Spirit. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and to sing. I'll be down front. Dr. Dan will be down front. If anyone wants to just talk more, about what it means to worship God, what it means to worship Jesus with all that he is due. We'll be here, we'll be available in the missions room out in the hallway afterwards. We would love to talk with you about what it means to be a worshiper of the one true God. Would you stand with me as we sing this closing song together?